Today's New Testament reading, today's Gospel reading, comes from John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38, as found on page 107 of the New Testament in your pew Bibles. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This gospel passage is full of uncomfortable statements. Did you squirm a little bit? Each question by Pilate causing us to flinch, and some of the responses from Jesus calling to mind some of the painful realities of our social world. In light of the rise of anti-Semitism that spills from the barrels of guns on Shabbat, we as Christians must reckon with the ways that interpretations of this exact passage have bled into the fabric of our culture, leading to acts of extreme violence. We as Christians are responsible for purging this ugly aspect of our religion from the body of the church. In addition, the idea of Jesus as king strikes an uncomfortable note. Our theological DNA is saturated in patriarchal language. Even this day of the church calendar, Christ the King Sunday, or as we call it, Reign of Christ Sunday, bears the odor of domination. A religious concept that gives legitimacy to real oppression. It begs the question, if God is a king, then who is made in the image of God? Perhaps you felt uncomfortable as well, but in a different way, with Pilate's final question in this scene. Perhaps in a world that holds a nervous relationship with fact, the question, what is truth, has danced upon your lips and fluttered across your mind. Maybe for brief moments or for seasons there has been a flash in your heart that perhaps what you hold most dear isn't as universally believed as you had thought. It's a little bit disconcerting to hear your thoughts voiced by someone like Pilate. We must wrestle with all these tension points. At the same time, we are invited to pull apart and step into this text. And perhaps in doing so, like so many things in Scripture, we will, we will witness to a deeper reality. I am speaking of the upside-down reign of God, a reign that was indicated towards by a poor Jewish man on the outskirts of empire standing before the sword of the emperor. 
In light of this, we begin to ask ourselves some new questions. What does it mean to participate in this reign? What does it mean to belong to truth? Throughout this passage, it becomes clear to me that Pilate has no idea what is going on. Though he seems to think he does. When he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews, he's, trying, he's attempting to fit Jesus within a framework that he understands. He's trying to stuff the cosmos in a shoebox. Yet the Jewish people at the time of Jesus had a long and complicated relationship with royalty. Their interactions with kingship begin with slavery to the Egyptian pharaoh and end with a series of imperial overlords. First the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. Sandwiched between these imperial dominations was a period of semi-sovereign rule, with the Hebrew Bible recounting tales of both good and wicked kings. Even at its strongest, Israel was a small nation at a strategic crossroads between powerful empires. Israel was always in danger. In light of this, the royal line of King David, the most famous of the Israelite kings whose last words are recounted in our reading today, served as a sort of anchoring hope for people who were tossed to and fro by powerful neighbors. At the, same, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people hoped for a Messiah, or in Greek, Christos, the heir to King David who would restore Israel. Occasionally, messiahs would pop up in the Roman Near East. They were always crushed and their followers scattered to the wind. Pilate himself had crushed messianic uprisings. Perhaps his question is mocking. Are you like the other folks before you, the king of the Jews? I'll kill you like I killed them. But Jesus responds in a surprising way. It's evident that Jesus and Pilate have very different understandings of what Jesus' kingdom would mean. Jesus was Jewish, and as a Jew, the history of his people would have soaked into his bones. He came from a people with a long and complex and painful history with the concept of kingdom. Yet Jesus lived in a world that was founded on the upside-down tree of kingdoms and empires with power flowing up. In order to describe something astounding and incomprehensible, you have to start by using something that people understand and turning it on its head. Jesus took a well-known structure and flipped it on its head to speak of something that we do not and did not have a word. To speak of the inbreaking of the divine into this world. The effects this would have on relationships that exist between people and people, people and God, and people within themselves. And the radical restructuring of life that would emerge from this. In other words, Jesus didn't use the metaphor of kingdom to describe this new thing because it is like a kingdom, but because it is so unlike the kingdoms. Mujarista theologian Ada Maria Sassi Diaz has argued that in a world where the term kingdom has not, not only fails to capture our hearts and our imagination, but has also been used to justify terrible atrocities, the metaphor we use to brush up against the undefinable can and should be changed. She offers an alternative, simply dropping the G. In doing so, we speak not of the kingdom of God, but of the kingdom of God. This kingdom, although still imperfect in describing God's inbreaking, draws us into relationship with one another and with God while keeping God at the center.
to be part of this kingdom, this relational reign of Christ, is to belong to the truth, as Jesus tells Pilate. We return to the question that Pilate asks, though, the same question that you and admittedly I are probably asking right now. What is truth? Otherwise translated, to be on the side of truth, belonging to truth, places us in relationship with the truth. We do not have this truth. It's not something we can buy or that is given to us to possess. No one has a monopoly on truth. We don't know this truth. It's not something we can learn. We do not do the truth. It is not simply an action, yet it calls us to respond to the voice of Jesus here and now in this world. For Jesus to be a king is to testify to truth. To be the head of God's kingdom is to point to truth. The truth is the kingdom of God. In the midst of the gifts of a multiplicity of belief and ideology, we recognize with humility that we don't own the truth, yet at the same time we recognize we belong to a truth that is found in and can be known through the person of Jesus, and seek to make real the implications of this. To be a part of the kingdom of God is to belong to truth, is to have something to say in a post-truth world. Pilate, before acquiescing to the murderous demands of religious political leaders, calls out, what is truth? There's a caravan of refugees heading towards the U.S. border. I hear ISIS is embedded within their ranks because it is easier to fear than love. What is truth? Our climate has become tattered, leaving holes for the winds of chaos to blow, but climate change is a hoax. What is truth? Boys will be boys is a saying that puts a thin glaze over a multitude of sins, but we act as if it is redemption. What is truth? The thing about empire is that it will call people to abandon their walk with the truth to find power. Yet as Christians, we are called to belong to the truth and listen to the voice of Jesus, no matter the cost. No matter how convincing the arguments are to sacrifice our moral integrity for the quick buck, the easy power, the cheap grace. We are ambassadors to the kingdom of God. We embody the kingdom of God. There is no definition of this kingdom or kingdom in the Gospels. The kingdom is described in surprising parables with nearly limitless meanings transforming short stories about the mundane into minds of divine wisdom. Christ takes the everyday and uses it to speak of the extravagant. The kingdom of God is witnessed to by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the one who embodies it, Christ the King. The kingdom of God is no single thing, and binaries are broken down in it, yet in Jesus and in Pilate we see starkly what it means to serve a kingdom and what it means to belong to the kingdom. Pilate was the cruel fist of an emperor. Jesus is God in the flesh who has shown us a new way of doing things, a way of healing, of fellowship, of love, of hope, of belonging, of hospitality. In these passages, we see the collision of kingdom and kingdom. Pilate expecting Jesus, if he is a king, in the way Pilate understands to retaliate. But this is not a revenge story. This is a redemption story. The kingdom of God is not an excuse to remove ourselves from this world, nor is it only a future hope. It is a future hope realized right now, through us 
in our bodies as, though who, as those who respond to the voice of Jesus. When Jesus claims that his kingdom is not of this world, he is not saying that it, it is a purely spiritual kingdom. But because this kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world, in other words, this kingdom doesn't play by, play by the rules of kingdoms. In this kingdom, we won't kill anybody. In this kingdom, we are here and we are fighting to make the world better, but we won't make idols of political figures or parties. In this kingdom, we go about our daily lives and our work and our play and our relationships, but we won't let anyone get hurt so we can get ahead. In this kingdom, we care for the marginalized and the vulnerable. In this kingdom, we know the church exists to tell good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand. This new way of doing things is right now. This community already exists. Friends, the church does not exist for itself. But as argued by theologian Gustavo Gutierrez, the church is always provisional. We as a community and as an institution only exist to communicate good news. The church is a sacrament that shows we don't have to do things like the kingdoms of the world do things. In less than a month, two young people in our congregation will be confirmed. They will be renewing the vows that someone else took on their behalf at baptism, the vows that new members at Harvard Epworth take, the vows that we reaffirm as community whenever someone is baptized in our midst. These vows, in a way, tie us together, make present the bonds that form the kingdom of God. I've been thinking a lot about them lately and asking myself if I'm actually holding them up myself, if I'm actually actively belonging to the truth. The vows are as followed, and if you're nerdy about this, they can be found on page 34 of your hymnals. I have begun to ask myself every morning, do I renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of my sin? Do I accept the freedom and power God gives me to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, put my whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as my Lord, in union with a church which Christ is open to all people of all ages, nations, races, and this is not in the official UMC liturgy, but I would like to add, sexual orientations, economic positions, and gender identities. These vows call us to reject evil and embrace a way of abundant life for all people. Today, on Reign of Christ Sunday, we are reminded that the promise of the kingdom of God is not some future hope alone, but a present and lived hope, made real through God acting through us. We are empowered to be ambassadors of this incredible work, using our hands and feet to serve this family. We point to the inbreaking of the divine and the reality that how things are is not how they have to be. And through our baptismal vows, we commit ourselves to making things as they should be by the grace of God. In this, we come to realize that Pilate was asking the wrong question. The question is not, what is truth? The question is, where is truth? The answer is right here, in you, 
in these pews and in the world, where people who belong to truth respond to the voice of Christ and embody the kingdom. As we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us join together in singing hymn number 328, Surely the Presence of the Lord, as found in your red UMC hymnal. Please stand as you are able. 